morning again, everybody. Thank you, ladies, for that wonderful time of music and testimony. It's always good to see what the Lord's been doing in people's lives and on, on our hearts um, as it, it bolsters each other in the body that are able to hear that, are able to receive those words. You know, as we come together this morning, I'm glad that you're here, as always. It's always have competing things that can be going for our time when it comes to weekends, when it comes to vacation times and things like that. So it's good to see you here today. You know, and as we come together today, we get to talk about probably the most controversial gift in the gift of tongues. You know, as we've been on this journey through the gifts, I hope that no matter your starting point, that you have been able to be challenged in your thinking to take a fresh look at the scriptures and what the word says, um, challenging you to dive deeper in, into your walk, into the faith journey that you are on, uh, into the word of Christ. And today is going to be no different. Um, we will also talk about and incorporate the interpretation of tongues with this gift, but this message is more of an overview. Um, I think as we continue to go through 1 Corinthians 14, when we get to that area, I'll be able to kind of touch on some of the things that are a little bit more deep at that time. Same with prophecy when we get to that area. So when we talk about this message, we're going to look at what the Word says, and we're going to talk about how people take the Word, how they understand this gift. We're going to look at some of the, the conflicts, the debates that are going on, um, you know, whether it's from the standpoint of how the gifts have ceased. We're going to look at some of the abuses uh, of the church to say, you know, things like, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the baptism of the Spirit and everything in between. So there's definitely a lot that we're going to be covering today. Um, but again, more of just an, an overview. There's a lot of more depth that you can go into in your own walk as well. But as we begin, let's pray. Father, as we continue to go to your word, I just pray that your spirit would be upon our hearts and minds, Lord, that you would help us to see clearly uh, what your word says, that you would help us to uh, lean into your spirit in those moments of understanding, rather than, as we talked about last week, not our own logic and our own reasoning, but Lord, what your word says. And through everything, may you be given the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we come to the end of the list of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. It's in this last part of verse 10, which says, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. So even though this is the last gift mentioned in this list, as we've talked about through Romans, this isn't an exhaustive list of gifts, nor is this a best for last scenario. Um, if you recall, within Corinth, within the context, this is the gift that is tripping people up. This is the gift that they are abusing and it's causing problems. You know, they're misusing this gift. They're not using it properly in terms of the order of service, the, how they're worshiping with it. They're lifting this gift higher than the others, and it's creating division. You know, they're using something which is meant to bring unity in terms of the gift of the Spirit, and it is dividing. Uh, similar to the gift of prophecy, we will spend a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians 14, a little bit later, and we'll get into some of that context of what's going on within this church. 
but we also want to look at other scriptures to get a good sense of this gift. Now, the gift of tongues is the ability to speak in one or more languages that the speaker has not previously learned. It was perhaps for the purpose of evangelism, for prayer, for worship, for building up the individual believer. And we'll talk kind of about all of these purposes intertwined throughout the message, message, so just kind of keep an ear for those. Now you also have the interpretation of tongues. This is a person who comes alongside of someone with the gift of tongues to give a translation accurately. Now personally, I think that these are two separate gifts for good reasons. Uh, one is as a safeguard, a form of accountability. Um, I don't think it's wise for the person who is speaking in tongues to interpret what they're saying in that context. Uh, sometimes a person might not even know that they're speaking in tongues. You know, I relate that to sometimes as I'm giving a message, um, the Spirit will speak through me at times and somebody will ask me what I said later. I'm like, I don't remember saying that. I know it's not in my transcript. To where at times, as the Spirit is moving through you, you're not always aware of what's going on. And secondly, I think that it, with it being a separate gift, it helps to incorporate more of the body to be able to be used by the Spirit, bringing in that unity piece. And we'll get more into the interpretation of tongues as we talk through 1 Corinthians 14. So, there are many issues that people have with this gift. And a lot of it, I think, goes to how we're understanding the gift. Sometimes, we will only look at Acts 2 as our source for understanding this gift. And the gift then needs to look exactly like that, otherwise it's not the gift of tongues. But with all of gifts, I think that faith is needed in order to deepen our relationship with the Spirit, to help us to understand, to open ourselves up to the things of the Spirit. And as that happens, things can get dicey. Things can get outside of our normal realms of control. You know, when we walk in and we enter into the spirit realm more in our life, we get to that place where we're not comfortable, where we're out of control, where we're letting go and letting God work through us. And that can be scary in many ways, not just even with the gift of tongues, but just in general. When you feel the spirit say, you need to go talk to this person about me, I don't know if I want to do that, Lord. I'm afraid of speaking. What if I say something wrong? You know, it's outside of that control, even though you've heard from the Lord. Again, that control issue that we struggle with can, can cause us to be stagnated in our faith. You know, so when we look at the different conflicts that we have with this gift, a lot of times we want to make sure that we're on sure footing. A lot of times we want to stay inside of our comfort zone. But when we stay inside of our comfort zone, what happens is we limit the fullness of Christ that we can experience. Many Christians are completely fine with salvation and staying right there, not going any deeper in our faith. You know, as I've said with the other gifts, the ones that I've experienced, they've all bolstered my faith. They've deepened my walk with Christ in ways that I would not have imagined. In some ways, I can't even explain. But with the gift of tongues, I've prayed to be able to speak in tongues, but I have not been granted this gift. You know, similar to A.B. Simpson, 
the founder of the movement that turned into the Christian Missionary Alliance. Gifted, gifted man of, by God. He was able to do so many wonderful things. But in all of his writings, you can see he desperately prayed to speak in tongues, but he was never able to. So what this does is it reinforces how this is a gift of the Spirit, given according to his will. It's not something that can be controlled by us. Now, as we go through this gift, again, I want to focus on what the Word says and how people have taken this gift for or against. And again, things are going to kind of be weaved in together. Hopefully, it's in an orderly fashion for us this morning. But one of the pushbacks that you get right away is the, the lack of mention of this gift in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, we can see the other giftings pretty clear. We can see healings, we can see miracles, we can see prophecy. Tongues is a little bit different, especially as, as designed or as phrased as the gift of tongues. You see prophecies about tongues. You see some examples that could be left up for interpretation, and we're going to go through some of those today. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me in Isaiah we're going to look at three different references there, um, and then we'll move over into Acts in the New Testament. So in Isaiah chapter 38 is where we'll start today. Um, in Isaiah 38, you have King Hezekiah, and he is spending some time reflecting on his illness, his sickness, and then his healing. And he is writing things down and as, he, as he's writing this stuff down, we see this in verse 14. He says, Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. Again, not saying that this is definitively the gift of tongues, but you see the description that is there, Right? Now, this is very similar to what's described in Isaiah 8, if you want to turn back there. In Isaiah 8, uh, the Lord is giving a prophecy to Isaiah, talking about what the people of God will do once the exiles start, once some of the wrath starts coming down. And he says this in verse 19, about how the mediums and the necromancers speak. It says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to teach to the teaching and the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Again, looking at the description. You know, you think of how it's being described, muttering, chirping, moaning. You look at this description and you begin to, to understand the spiritual nature behind some of this, whether it's you know, demonic with the mediums and the necromancers or through Hezekiah who's trying to explain the, his, what he sounded like. Again, open up for interpretation. It's not clear. You know, with Isaiah and Joel, they both have prophecies about tongues and how people would be acting in the spirit in the last days. Now that phrase, in the last days, is very important because how you understand that phrase a lot of times will help, un help um, 
help you see where you come down on some of these issues. You know, you think about what the last days mean. Is it saying that the last days have already happened with the apostles? Are they yet to happen with Jesus coming back? Are they currently happening right now? Are we in the last days? And, and that phrase will point to 1 Corinthians 13 verses, I think it's 8 and 9. Uh, when we get there, we'll talk about that section. But that's a, a verse that talks about how, the, how prophecy will cease, how tongues will cease in the last days. So that, that's a connection there. But again, how you understand that. But Joel and Isaiah have these prophecies. If you want to turn over to Isaiah 28. In Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. It says, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people, to whom he has said, This is is rest. Give rest to the weary and this to repose. Yet they would not hear. So as, as Isaiah is saying this, it's a very similar type of statement from Joel that we'll get to here in a moment. But I think that, you know, when we look at what's said here, this is kind of what's lived out in Acts 2. Go ahead and turn over to Acts 2. This is kind of the main passage that people agree with. This is the gift of tongues. Um, and when we look at Acts 2, it's really our most in-depth look at this gift. You know, 1 Corinthians 14 is a little bit more controversial. I think it's a, another important side to the gift that we need to understand. But in Acts 2, I'll begin in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one, of, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it we hear that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, 
It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we'll pause there. You know, you look at what's read there. We're not told exactly what's said in the other languages other than the mighty works of God in verse 11. We don't know if what they were saying was evangelistic. We don't know if they were giving the gospel message. But what it did was it allowed Peter to give the gospel message. It gained the attention of those that were around. And you see what Peter links this to. He links what's happening back to Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. But you see what he quotes there. What's the connection? I mean, he doesn't talk about tongues in Joel. So why would Peter be referencing this in a moment when tongues is being used? Well, the connection is the Pentecost. The connection is the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples. So with this event and then others that happen in Acts, we then begin to see this belief forming how the Spirit being poured out on people will produce tongues. Now this is combined with what happens in the other places to kind of strengthen that belief. If you want to turn over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is talking about Cornelius and Peter ministering to him. But if you skip down to verse 44, you have this event that happens. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. In the next chapter, in chapter 11, Peter describes what happens with the Gentiles. And he says this beginning in verse 15. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could stand in God's way? You know, I love Peter's description. I love how he, he takes this back because it's kind of how we've been talking about not rejecting the gifts or people or quenching the Spirit, but instead pressing in. 
evaluating, weighing, testing, discerning what's being said. Is it coming from God? And being able to give him the glory and not ourselves. It puts the onus back on us not to try to control the spirit, but rather to dive deeper into him and what's going on around us, what God is doing around us, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Well, we're promoting the unity of the body, the fullness of Christ. You know, as believers, we should be about anything that takes us deeper into our walk with him instead of rejecting things right off the bat. And again, what we see here happening in chapter 10, we see how the reaction among the people who receive the Spirit is that they begin to speak in tongues. Turn over to Acts chapter 19. So we're going to have a kind of a similar scenario that happens here, beginning in verse 1. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said into John's baptism. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now with this passage in particular, uh, we see what's commonly called the baptism of the Spirit. A controversial subject in its own right, for sure. But many times it is connected with the gift of tongues. So it adds more to the conversation as we're diving deeper into the gift. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this topic this morning. I think one controversial topic at a time is enough for me. Um, But I want to give us a little bit of a background so we can have an understanding uh, of the beliefs surrounding the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, With the baptism of the Spirit, it is a separate baptism from a water baptism, as referenced by Peter in Acts 11, which we just read. Uh, This baptism is believed to be more in the sanctification process versus being a part of salvation. It involves praying over people to receive the Holy Spirit, whether that's for the first time or having a sense, a renewed sense of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit in your life. You know, when we look at salvation, we have the understanding that you cannot be saved more than you already are in Christ, right? As I look at verse 2, I take it literally. I take it that these men are believers. They are God-fearing men. Which raises the question of the pouring out of the Spirit and receiving Spirit at salvation. What's the difference? Is there a difference? This tends to be where the, the conversation of the debate goes. You know, if you do not take them as believers, it can open up another can of worms in terms of what are we looking for for evidences of salvation in a person's life to say that they're saved. I've always said I dislike playing judge of whether or not somebody is saved. You know, the Bible says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. 
Sure, I agree with that. But that also tends to lead to a holier-than-thou type of competition to where you can get to these, you have to be exhibiting certain gifts in order to be truly saved. You have to go to a certain church in order to be truly saved. You have to speak in tongues to say that you're saved. You have to have the right type of Christianese that you speak, doing polite things, helping little old ladies across the street. Then you can say you're truly saved. You know, it's a game that it's, it's difficult because everybody sets different standards based on what they may have or may not have in their own life. You know, we, we look at the churches that say you need to speak in tongues to be saved, and we're like, ah, heck with that. That's not true because I don't speak in tongues and I'm saved, right? So that can't be true. And we just dismiss it right off the bat. Again, when you start going down that road, it gets difficult in terms of where you can come back out. With the baptism of the Spirit being more a part of sanctification, it's an understanding of how you are still being made into the image of Christ, how the Spirit is renewing your mind. You know, you look at where you are today, hopefully you're more mature in your faith than you were five years ago. And in five years, hopefully you're going to continue to grow beyond where you are now. But what's going to change? Your knowledge, your understanding, your trust, your obedience, your giftings. You know, the baptism of the Spirit is an immersion into the Spirit, into Him. It's a reflection of the Pentecost moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Trick question for you. Was the Spirit already a part of the disciples' lives before Pentecost? That's a fun one to dig into. Because you have a lot of references in the Gospels. The disciples in this entire time period are tricky because you have that moment before Christ is crucified where it's still kind of judged, I guess you can say, in the Old Testament type of terms. Then you have Christ being crucified and saved. Then you have the Holy Spirit being poured out. Many times we want something to be like a formula, something that's nice and neat and under, easy to understand. I can remember going through seminary and looking and trying to find an order for baptism. Looking through Acts, everyone is different. Even the ones that we've read are different in terms of when people are baptized, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people. It's just not as nice and neat as we like, which again makes us uncomfortable because we can't control all of that stuff. So as we go through these types of doctrines and we develop our thinking on it, it can become complex. And again, it's a controversial subject that we have to understand is out there. You know, as believers, every believer is given the Holy Spirit. The expression, the manifestation that might be accompanied by that conversion is different for everyone. You know, sometimes it could be an expression of the gifts, a manifestation of the gifts that come out. Sometimes it can be a radical life change from addiction to nothing, to clean. You know, some other commonalities that people express of the Holy Spirit in their life, that, you know, a warm sensation tingles up the back and the spine, inexplicable joy, peace, calm in your life where you have no words to describe it. You know, the depth of our walk changes as we lean into the Spirit. 
However, in the American church, many times our walks are shallow and superficial. And it's a warning that we need to be aware of. But again, with the baptism of the Spirit, it's another controversial area. But if it's one of interest, continue to dive deeper. Ask questions because it is a fun topic to get into. So you have the Spirit being poured out on people, and they are speaking in tongues. Now, another area of confusion or debate surrounding this gift is whether or not it is known languages or what some might call gibberish. Simple answer, sure. Now, as I said, with Acts 2, we find a very complete look at this gift outside of a worship service. There are, in Acts 2, it is known languages, but does it always have to be? You know, when you think of what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, what is the tongue of angels? I connect this maybe with Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who knows, or sorry, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. To where what may sound or appear as gibberish to us could be the language of the Spirit or the language of angels. Um, my own personal criticism, I wonder if it w- this would be the original language before the Tower of Babel. No basis whatsoever, just a cool thought that I've always had, and I have the opportunity to share that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it would, be, it would just be easier if everybody spoke the king's English. You know, I mean, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? <laughs> but when we have the understanding of tongues, it creates things in our hearts and minds to where many times we can just dismiss things right away. So perhaps there's some procedure that we can understand with this gift. And I think Paul tries to lay this out a little bit for us in 1 Corinthians 14. If you want to turn over there, we'll kind of walk through portions of this to close us out today. Um, as we dive through this chapter again, remember just kind of reminding you to look for the three purposes of prayer, worship, and building up of the individual. So let's look at just the first two verses to start off here. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So just, I mean, pausing with that, that spot right there, as you look at those two verses. You know, again, when we look at Acts 2, we see the disciples speaking other known languages. Um, The people that were around understood what was being said. We're not told in, in the sense of what was being said other than that they were glorifying God. You know, when we look at what Paul writes here, he says 
that speaking in tongues is an utterance to the mysteries of the Spirit. And many times when you want something to be clear in the Bible, there's a vague answer that is given. Like, okay, thanks, Paul. What are these mysteries in the Spirit? But at the same time, it allows us to dive deeper into our relationship with Christ as we understand that there are mysteries that we can pursue, that we can go deeper. And we look at how Paul is describing this. He's saying the one who is speaking in tongues is speaking to God. So he's addressing this divisive issue in the church, and the first mention that he has with it being in worship services formally is about prayer, where this person is speaking to God. Within a service, you know, you think about our own prayer time, our own share in prayer that we have. What would we think if as someone starts to pray, they're starting to pray in tongues? You know, putting aside your feelings of it, when you look at it logically, you understand what's going on in terms of this person is having a very intimate and personal time of prayer for that individual. But the rest of us would be in the dark of what's being said. We can't join in an agreement or understand what's, being going, what's going on unless there's an interpretation. You know, Paul, he gets into this issue a little bit in this next section. So let's pick up in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinctive notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So a few things within this section. This is, you know, within the confines or within the instruction of the church service. He's instructing them to strive to build up the church rather than themselves. Wanting, again, this whole unified aspect within the church. Not a vain, prideful pursuit. Um, you know, and he says, again, how people are going to be left in the dark not knowing what is going to be said. He explains how this gift um, is done when they are talking to God. How they are building up themselves and their relationship with God. You know, so from that aspect of it, why wouldn't we want the gift of tongues? If it builds us up in a relationship with God to draw closer to him, why wouldn't we pursue that? Perhaps back to control, back to pride. 
But in the same sense that Paul is describing prophecy here, he says that prophecy is greater than tongues unless someone interprets. So if someone is interpreting, then it's to be taken seriously. Like prophecy, how we talked about that, where we test it, we weigh it according to what Scripture says, and then we glorify God through it. Picking up in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. As if you give thanks in your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God, well, I'll stop there actually, at 17. So again, here kind of repeating the same thing that he just said within the worship service. And again, Paul is driving home this point of unity and not division. Where everyone is using the gifts of the Spirit for the benefits of others rather than themselves. Now this is the only gift that is mentioned that it benefits yourself. All of the other gifts are meant for others. But Paul is saying this one should be used for others as well. But if there is no interpretation, it is used for yourself. Um, you know, as I look at this section, even as I understand tongues, uh, as I understand worship services, there's, there's challenges that I have. You know, as I look at what he says there in verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. As I said before, I really believe that the gift of interpretation should come from another person because there's just dangers. If I speak in a tongue and then I tell you what the interpretation is, there's accountability issues that could be there. So I really struggle or wrestle with that verse and how to understand that well. Um, you know, the other part uh, is not something that I do in tongues, but it's oftentimes while we're worshiping, through song, through times of prayer, even as I'm giving a message, there'll be times where I am praying in the Spirit. You know, where I am either praying silently or I am mumbling or something like that as I am watching over the body. As I'm looking from behind and I'm seeing people, I can see disturbances in their spirit, see conflicts, and I just pray for peace. I pray against distractions. I pray for people to have their hearts and minds centered on Christ. You know, even as I'm up here and I'm praying through the Spirit into you, it is that the Spirit can move over you that you can gain that understanding. But again, as that's done in my heart and mind, it's not something that can be agreed upon by everyone. It's not something that can be shared with everyone. And Paul will get into that in the next section as well. But the point that he makes on unity cannot be overlooked. How if we're hiding gifts, if we're not responding to God's call, we're not being able to bless others with what God has given us to be a blessing with. Instead, we're keeping that hidden. We're keeping that for ourselves. And we're not, using a, we're not being used in the way that God would want us to be used. Continuing in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. It is written in, in the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign for the believers, or sorry, are a sign not for the believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all of you prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So there's a lot within that section. Um, and you have the, the famous verse there in verse 18, where I would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in a tongue. Many times churches will use this reason as a reason to dismiss tongues altogether. But I don't want to read over the fact that Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the only mention in Scripture of Paul saying that he speaks in tongues. We don't have, uh, we don't have examples of when he speaks in tongues. We don't have examples of him doing that in evangelism or anything like that. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. But what this shows is that as he says he speaks in tongues more than all of you, that it is in his prayer life, where Paul is going deeper into his relationship with the Lord. You know, even though we're not privy to that. And in verse 21, this is where Paul is quoting Isaiah 28, which we read earlier, connecting the scripture, the prophecy that Isaiah gives to the gift of tongues. Paul is speaking very specifically to the church services in chapter 14 here. He's promoting order and unity for the gospel message, for the kingdom advancement, rather than for individual growth and gain. Now, he does go on in this next section to talk about the order of a service and what happens for those that speak in tongues, um, how if nobody is there to interpret, that those who speak in tongues should keep silent um, and they should speak to themselves and to God. So there, even within the service, they are still able to speak in tongues. However, it should be to themselves and God. Where they're continuing on with that intimacy, that depth with the Spirit. So that when you think about as you come to church, when you, when you come into this building, when you come into this body of believers, are you coming expecting to have an encounter with the risen Lord? Are you coming expecting to be moved by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit? Because we should be. We should come understanding that we're coming to rejoice and celebrate the salvation that we have received, the grace that we have received by God. Talking about what Jesus did for us, And we should be using those gifts to build each other up, 
that's what church should look like. Church should be about a community of believers. Where in a sense, I'm working myself out of a job. To where we move from a lecture series to what is God doing in your life right now? Helping each other along the way. Who are you witnessing to? How are we sharing the gospel message with one another? Where we're sharing his teaching. Singing his praises. Helping each other along the way. Church has become an intellectual exercise with your ability to understand a presentation rather than a movement of the Spirit. And we are lukewarm because of it. Jesus said, if you want to come follow me to be my disciples, it will cost you. It will cost you your family, your possessions, your time, yourself. We don't come to play Christianity. We live it because we understand the cost that was made on our, on our behalf, the cost of the blood of Christ poured out for our salvation. And then the Spirit who is poured over us to give us life so that what, we can sit on a couch so that we can sit on the sidelines? May it never be so. You know, I've pondered throughout my times in ministry what a letter from Paul would look like for the American church. What a letter from Paul would look like for our body. You know, what would our praiseworthy moments be, our congratulations? What would be our warnings and our admonitions? You know, I spoke in a similar way last week where as I've gone through this series, I've found it more of a challenge of humility in my life to throw off myself that knows it all, myself that's boasting, uh, has to boast about being right, but rather humbly coming before the word of God, asking to be immersed by the spirit of God so that I can go and be the people of God. We have, a, we have an immense task before us. We have been given an awesome responsibility as carriers of the gospel message. And we have a lost and hurting world that is around us, that is promoting anything but the truth of God. We've been given that. We've been given the Spirit of God to give us boldness and courage and the words to say in those moments, but how many times are we just staying silent? Do the lost people really matter to us? Or are we just happy with our own salvation? something more for us to think about. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to go through your gifts that come by your Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to understand the purposes of those gifts. How we can build up one another in the body 
in order to go out to the unbelievers of this world to share your truth. Lord, if there are obstacles in our way, whether we don't think we understand the truth, whether we think we don't have the words to say, whether we don't really have a strong walk with you, I pray that we can throw off all of our excuses, all of our complaining and grumblings, and just rest in you. Rest in the grace that we have received. Understanding the sinfulness in our lives and the blood that was poured out to pay for that price. Lord, that is our starting point. Lord, as believers, many times we're eking our way through life trying to get to the next weekend or the next day. But Lord, we're not promised tomorrow. You have given us today and you've given it for a reason. And I pray that we can fulfill those purposes above our own selfishness, above our own control, above our own wants and desires. Lord, help us to turn those over to you because those are a part of the cost of what it means to be your disciple. Lord, give us boldness by your spirit. Not our own strength, not our own intellect, not our own wisdom. By you and you alone, Lord. May you be glorified and magnified in all areas of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.